on this Tuesday, 2 22 You want me to say it backwards? 2 What? Why are you rolling, why are you rolling my, your eyes at me? It's the second eye roll of the day on 220. I'm just kidding. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. We, we got a lot to get to here on this Tuesday. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, Georgia Tech starting spring, spring practice. Very important season for Jeff Collins uh, upcoming. I'll also talk with uh, Doc Herbert, formerly of the Platinum Sabrero uh, podcast. Baseball meeting today and a lot of pessimism about uh, the Braves and Freddie Freeman. And we'll talk to him about about that. Also, we'll talk with Ridge Styles, the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. A lot of talk about Phil Mickelson and his kind of waning status uh, there amongst the, uh, the the PGA Tour and some of his comments on potentially joining the new Saudi Tour and trying to stick it to the PGA Tour, which, again, has not gone over well. So we'll talk to uh, to Rich about that. Also, Zachary Carter, uh, Florida defensive lineman, or former Gator uh, defensive lineman, uh, he will join us and we'll talk about his uh, time there at the Senior Bowl, and certainly he get ready for the NFL Combine, which is coming up. And the, that was late breaking news yesterday. We talked about some uh, agents uh, saying, "Hey, our, we're going to encourage our guys not to go work out. Just do the uh, the the interviews and the evals, and, and and get out of there and save it for the pro day." Well, the NFL uh, shortly thereafter, yesterday afternoon, after we got done with the show, debubbled itself. If that makes is that even a word? Uh, but basically removed all the, uh, the the bubble restrictions they were trying to put in place for the combine. So we'll see if that has now any effect on uh, whether or not the, I would imagine, guys who weren't going to go would have no problem going now as they get kind of what they were asking for out of that deal. So a lot to get to there. Of course, baseball on day two of their meetings uh, today. BJ and Ben, uh, they, they met for off and on for about an hour and a half. Uh, yesterday, I think they said each side kind of caucused with itself for about three hours, which, again, I don't think is a, a, a bad thing. Basically, as Ben knows, you go in a room say, here's the deal. This is what we're proposing. This is what we're proposing. All right, give us a minute. You go out. You talk it over with your side and say, what do we want to say to this? What do we want to say to that? All right, we go back in the room, talk it out. Okay, give us a minute. Go back out. Let's talk with our sides. Owners doing the same thing, right? They're doing the same thing. The players are going to come back and say this. If they say this, what are we going to say to that in this meeting? And so a lot of people saying it's not as contentious. They're at least trying to move forward, even though a lot of ground wasn't closed on Monday. A lot of people think the fact you're meeting every day, meeting multiple uh, multiple hours and not you know multiple minutes uh, for for these meeting sessions is a positive sign that things are going in the right direction. And of course, uh, that has spurred on a lot of maybe. Slight optimism that over the coming days you'll work closer and closer towards hammering out something that's going to be agreeable to both sides, and we could have baseball relatively soon, which would mean the flurry of free agency, which has for some reason given rise to the Freddie Freeman rumors, again, that he's not coming back to the Atlanta Braves, to which I would say if he's unable to talk to any team, how does anybody know that? <laughs> I mean, he hasn't been able to talk to anybody since December. How all of a sudden has it gone from, well, the Braves didn't get a deal done to he's, he's, he's definitely not going anywhere. He's definitely going somewhere else. Like, nobody's been able to give him an offer that would uh, be put out there say, okay, that makes sense. So that's kind of where we're at with, uh, with baseball as we head in the, uh, the coming hours of the Tuesday afternoon meetings here. Well, and you mentioned the Freddie Freeman speculation. I mean, there is speculation out there. Multiple reports, uh, multiple uh, media members citing sources, uh, speculation, rumors. I don't, I don't know kind of what to classify uh, uh, some of the tweets or, or, or stances or opinions as, but there are uh, – multiple reports that have kind of led to this idea that 
Freddie Freeman may not be an Atlanta Brave. And I think uh, 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 Buster Olney uh, kind of kind of inferring that uh, potentially. Uh, I know uh, Chipper Jones uh, said, hey, kind of inferred again, maybe maybe Freddie Freeman goes elsewhere. But I think I think the, the lockout probably hasn't helped in terms of Atlanta and Freddie Freeman being able to, you know, address this. But, Kevin, it is a fair point for all of the, you know, Freddie Freeman's not going to sign, Freddie Freeman's not coming back to Atlanta. Well, technically – Nothing Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened, and when the two sides, the MLB and the MLBPA, do agree, you will have, I would assume, a rushed kind of wave of free agency where in a span of a couple of days, all of this is addressed. But, yeah, uh, Braves fans not happy at the latest reports. Yeah, and look, it, I do agree with something Kevin said. It is, it is negotiations. I think sometimes when you think about um, the situation where Freddie Freeman is, I mean, BJ, I know we keep talking about uh, the number that he wants, and I get that part. But the Braves have won their way, and when I say their way, I mean spending. It's not Alex Anthopoulos. It's like, oh, hey, he don't want – no. Anthopoulos wants nothing more than to make sure that Freddie Freeman is a Brave for life. But it's not his money he's he's spending. His money is it's other people's money he's negotiating with. And you get, when you negotiate, you're thinking about the here and you're thinking about the present and the future. So how bad could this get down the line? Because sometimes you just don't want to pay a guy because he's older, not because he's declining, but you got to think about We've won with Freddie Freeman. And Freddie he wants the sixth year, right, not Yeah, five. I think that's like a big holdup. And, uh, and and as Ben said, I think for, for people who are saying, well, Freddie Freeman might be gone, I think you look at recency and say he is a good player. He is very good player. I'm not trying to diminish this. Very good player. Look at guys who got long deals late into their career, Miguel Cabrera, how'd that go in Detroit? I mean, Miguel got his. What did he have around him? Not Detroit made one good crack at it, and then they had to sell off guys to pay Miguel, and they haven't been very good. LA Anaheim Angels. Okay, you got Mike Trout. The, the joke is to get what happened. Cardinals, Albert Pujols was beloved in St. Louis. A lot of Cardinal fans, man, you got to stay a Cardinal for life. You and Yachty and... He said, nope, I'm going to get a 10-year deal from Anaheim till I'm like 42. How'd that work out? It kind of got Albatross stuck around their neck uh, with our pool, so much so that his, his skills diminished. They end up trading him to, uh, to the Dodgers. So I think if you're the Braves, while you would like Freddie Freeman to stay, you offer him what you think is fair, but you also, as you take a step back, go, if we do this for Freddie, is this going to interfere with our ability to go up Austin Riley? Is this going to interfere with our ability to keep Max Freed uh, in a long-term deal? Is this going to interfere with our ability to get maybe Dansby Swanson? Is this going to interfere with our ability to pay Ronald Acuna like a megastar in year five with that Freddie Freeman deal? And you're going, man, we've got a couple more years of Freddie at $20 million, Ronald. we got to uh, figure something out. So I think that is the long-range thinking that in the short term, if you're a Braves fan, you go, man, I really feel like Freddie Freeman should be a Brave for life. And he is, again, no question, the leader of the franchise. I, you can't even say that. Ronald Acuna is the next face of the franchise. Freddie Freeman is the here and now. And I think that's the thing the Braves are going to weigh. They've probably been weighing the whole time it's been locked out. As soon as it opens, you know Freddie Freeman's going to be slapped in the face with about five or six offers to go play somewhere. Braves probably included. Uh, I think the question is, do you sacrifice some of that down the road to keep a guy as the face of your franchise? Uh, I mean, there are exceptions to every rule. I'm not. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to every rule, but I think what happens is you got to look at the front office. It ain't that the, the the this false narrative that the Braves the Braves do want Freddie Freeman. That's why they offered him more than the highest paid uh, first baseman uh, in the league. But the thing is, what looks good now, sure down the road you start saying to yourself, look, 
The one thing Allison Dobbins can say, he said, look, I am not taking credit for Freddie Freeman's career, but Freddie Freeman won a, a, a World Series when I was, the, you know, when I was in the front of when I was a GM. Then you talk about, then you got then you got to look at the guys that, that they was able to go out there and get, you know, uh, with him. Look, I want Freddie Freeman. You, We want Freddie Freeman to be a brave. But the, the, the thing about the front office is all they do is deal in dollars. That's it. They deal in dollars every single day. They, they're punching these numbers every single day down to the down to the hot dog concession stand, down to the parking. That's what they do. And they're saying, this is what they do. How bad could this hurt us if we give them this money? And they were, uh. And when the phases started doing all this, it's like you got to make hard decisions. I mean, Allison Thompson, I mean, up until now, everything he's outside of – outside well, of. Uh, but I'm saying, but case in point, outside of Chipper Jones, name a brave legend. And I'll go so far as to include pick some of these cats that have got their numbers retired, who were lifelong, only played with the Braves. John Smoltz, he went and played with other teams. Tom Glavin, he went and played with other teams. Andrew Jones went and played with other teams. Uh, but so, not in the prime of their careers. No, no, and I don't know. I think is Freddie in the prime, probably on the back prime of his career. Uh, I would say. Does that mean I think he's going to fall off a cliff and not be? No, but I think in terms of. With Freddie Freeman, as Ben knows, front officers are looking at it, say, is there more up to the Freddie Freeman uh, career path or is there more cresting and going down? And I think, obviously, at 32, you say he's going to be cresting and going down. How much are you willing to pay to live with some of I guess that my question over is, the life of that contract? If he ends up going elsewhere, and again, reports today, we'll get, but what does that mean from a reshuffling standpoint along the infield? Does Austin Riley move to first? Do you go out and get a free agent? Do you make a trade? Do you... Feel like you have to go out and then get another big bad. What does this What does this mean if you don't have Freddie Freeman? I mean, you're gonna have to live up to your you know reputation of having one of the best farm systems in baseball. I mean, you got to trust what you do. Look, Freddie Freeman panned out. Like when they got Freddie Freeman, whenever he got you know whenever he became you know uh, a pro, they they was hoping that he became what he became. Like he became the best first baseman in baseball, and they won a championship. Uh, to me, you're like, look, what's the best you can do when you got a great player? Win a championship with him, and they did that. Now. When you say win a championship with him, you got to put that in the context. What did you have around him? Did Freddie Freeman win, you know, World Series MVP? No, that doesn't mean he wasn't incredible. Did he? And I and I just think that what makes it Freddie Freeman is such, he's so freaking he's such a solid, consistent player. He doesn't have bad years, but I just think that sometimes, man, he did what you're supposed to do. If you outplay your contract with the team you own, then good for you. But if you are the Braves, you saying, look, man, we we gonna miss him. But Addison Thompson said, I ain't got, well, y'all should give him 150. I can't give him nothing. I can't offer him that. So, and they're offering him more. He's going to be the highest paid, no matter where he goes, even with the Braves, he's going to be the highest paid first baseman in baseball. Whether that's 135, 145, or what he said, what he said, 160 or whatever. Those years make a difference. And I just think that if you are the Braves, they don't want to, everything they've done now is working. And I just think it comes down to how you do business. This ain't the Yankees. You know, this, this ain't this ain't the team that just throw money out there. They got to do it a certain way. You don't got to like it, but those money, those teams throwing money. Brian, I mean uh, Bryce Harper. How many how many World Series? Got his money, but it's hard when you get one guy three hundred and fifty mil. So, I mean, I, I I do think he deserves his money, but getting his money that's a different thing. We talking about a team like the Braves. And again, I think that's going to be the the discussion the Braves have been having of look, local icon, team icon. Franchise player, I think all that's true. Can we afford to pay him till he's 40 or 41 and still keep the core of our guys together, i.e. Austin Riley, some of these guys that are coming up that are, again, who knows what the new CBA is going to be. You bring up a guy like Shea Longleaders and two years in, you got to pay him some money.
uh, because he's getting into arbitration. So I think those are some of the things they're trying to think about. All those young pitchers they got to sign uh, as well. A DH, if you're going to get a good one, going to have to fork out some money for a DH as well. So those are some of the things I think the Braves are talking about as they uh, try also to get this CBA done between the players and the uh, the MLB owners. A lot more to come here on the show, but uh, did want to mention uh, BJ off the uh, the bat. The uh, the federal hate crimes trial uh, was I guess concluded today uh, with the McMichaels and William Roddy Bryan. They were all three found guilty of federal hate crimes and attempted kidnapping, interfering with his right to use a public street and uh, and more. So that is on top of what they were already convicted of uh, earlier this year uh, when that when that uh, trial came to a close there. So this is the federal trial portion of it found guilty on several counts of federal hate crimes. Listen, I'm, I hope that uh, I hope that Ahmaud Arbery family uh, feels some, you know, some sense of uh, justice at this point. I mean, no one ever wants to lose a family member. They've had to live this nightmare the last couple of years because obviously it's been national headlines. But, yeah, I mean, there are very, very few times that everybody's on the same side of justice. I mean, whether it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you understood that this had to happen. So the McMichaels, I mean, William Roddy Bryan, they obviously found guilty of federal hate crimes. I mean, uh, I don't, you know, you hope that no family ever has to go through this, but I hope that Ahmaud Arbery's family, mother and father, get some, you know, get some level of uh, like justice to know that, hey man, they got convicted on both counts, both this trial and the hate and the hate crime trial, and uh, you hope that it, you know they can finally at least start uh try to even begin uh, the healing process. Yes, and just continuing to pray for for Ahmad's family, uh, continuing to pray for the community, and uh, two years. Tomorrow will mm-hmm. be uh, uh, his his murder was two mm-hmm. years ago tomorrow and uh, justice for Ahmad and just continuing to pray for uh, he and his family. We'll come back. We've got more to come here on three and out on this Tuesday afternoon. Here with you on this Tuesday two twenty two twenty two. Lot to get to here on the show. Doc Herbert will join us in just a little bit. We'll talk some Braves baseball with him in about uh, ten minutes or so. But spring practices currently going on, popping up all over. Uh, college football, including uh, today in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. Big spring and obviously upcoming fall for Jeff Collins, BJ, and been 9-25 and 25 through three seasons thus far. And you talk about a, another schedule where you could be looking at another 3-9. and nine. That would be 12-34 and 34 in four seasons. Not exactly a, uh, a rounding, uh, rousing success, but 9-25 and 25 and a tough schedule upcoming and four transfers in the last week. 12, I think, overall transferred out of the program, so things continue to get tougher. Well, and I think here with spring practice, the focus has got to be on the offense, right? Uh, You're talking about a new offensive coordinator uh, coming in in Chip Long, previously the offensive coordinator at Tulane, Notre Dame, and Memphis. So, Ben, you're talking about a guy that's experienced, a guy that has been at multiple different programs, but I think... What is what is the identity offensively? You know, are you a are you a run first team? I know you have some questions at running back uh, because of the transfer portal. Now, are you a team that is building around uh, Jeff Sims, which I think you should, former big time recruit who's now got some experience uh, returning at quarterback for Georgia Tech. Uh, do you feel like you want to push the ball downfield? Are you more of a compartmentalized passing game team? Where's your offensive line at and its development? I know defensively you want to make some more plays. That goes without saying. I think you were near the bottom of the country last year in interceptions. But given that you do have a returning quarterback who's played well for you, we all go back to that North Carolina game uh, in the bins. I think it's got to be this spring getting Chip Long and Jeff Sims on the same page 
and kind of laying that foundation offensively. Yeah, and uh, BJ, I think sometimes when you talk about going from a historic uh, offense that uh, Georgia Tech is known for, you knew it was going to be some growing pains. You thought that you thought that it would uh, have shown some promise. This is the thing about this thing about uh, Georgia Tech for me, BJ. I want to know what the identity of the team is because they, this is the same team that almost beat Clemson, came up two points short, a team that dominated. Uh, North Carolina uh, in the Dome, but it's the same team that also lost in Northern Illinois. So I do think that Jeff Collins, right, fair or unfair, if I'm Jeff Collins, man, I mean, uh, I'm picking the phone. I'm calling Josh Heifel. I'm saying, hey, Coach, look, you had to deal with this last year in Tennessee, and y'all lost everybody to the transfer portal. Now, people are always going to say the SEC East was down last year. Well, if it was down, the team that finished second, I mean, the the team that finished third in the East was a Tennessee team that wasn't picked to do anything in 2021, they're going to have to find an identity for the team. Jeff Collins is going to have to do his best, pull a rabbit out of the hat trick, BJ, this year because the schedule is not forgiven. Got one of the hardest schedules, if not the hardest schedule in the country. But I, six wins is something we talk about a lot of times. And I know it's just the spring. I know you can't win the first game, you know, in the spring. You you know, you you you, uh, you gearing up for the season. Jeff Collins is going to have to say to himself, look, fellas, we lose the guys to the transfer portal. You know, I mean, obviously you got players saying because of the uncertainty – uh, you know, with the program right now, he's going to have to show this year. I mean, they've given him more than enough time, and it's it's not supposed to be fair. It's never going to be fair with a team like Georgia Tech with, you know, Crystal Ball down there in Miami. You see what they're doing down, down there with their recruiting class. Florida State is going to definitely try to show some show some promise this year. Clemson's not going to stay down for two years in a row. You don't got to deal with, you know, you don't got to deal with Pickett at uh, Pitt this well, year. If you're, well, if you're, Force, if you're you know? Georgia Tech, you play Clemson, uh. Georgia, Miami, Notre Dame, I mean, Ole Miss, Central Florida. I mean, it is a heck of a schedule. And 9-25, and 25, not a lot of momentum. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Mike Lockhart, the defensive tackle, who uh, uh, entered the transfer portal. He cited, quote, recent uncertainty in the program. So I think you have to get out in spring ball and develop some positive momentum. Well, I will say this. For, the, for everybody who was saying, well, what happens to the players that are left as far as, like, the guys that you – know, compared to the guy that transferred? They get to play quicker. See, sometimes when it comes to the transfer portal, we be thinking, oh, I mean, it's, it's going to be bad for the guys that's left. No, nope, that just means they're going to have to play faster. You got to treat it like an injury. And you want to know, look, I am not I am not uh, condemning any player that wants to move on to better to better uh, his uh, athletic uh, future. But but there are, there are no promises when you go to the transfer portal. It doesn't mean you're going to get to just land on another team. But, BJ, given all the circumstances, Jeff Collins, you know, he gets a chance to go out there and try to, you know, uh, you know, right the ship a little bit. And and for us, that could be five wins. Oh, my God, if he gets the six wins, gets bowl eligible, that's – forget ACC coach of the year. That might be coach of the year type status when you look at this – when you look at this uh, – when you look at the schedule. But I do think Georgia Tech – they're that curious case. Because, BJ, I, I, go back, I go back a year ago. Clemson, obviously, we thought they were going to be better. No one saw Pitt doing what – Pitt plays defense. They led with offense this year. Nobody saw Wake doing what they did. Could Georgia Tech have, you know, Sims is a guy that has experience now, right? I could could we could we potentially be seeing, I don't know, I don't want to call him a sleeping giant. I'm not I'm not saying that, but doesn't doesn't like what Pitt did or doesn't like what Wake Forest did kind of give Jeff Collins some level of hope saying, look, man. Well, yeah, I mean, we, I, listen, I think the talent is 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 there for them to play better. I mean, Ben, I, I I think you're talking about a team that has recruited well, has been one of the better recruiting teams in the ACC now. Some of that has been lost through the transfer portal, but Georgia Tech's also gone out and made some additions through the transfer portal as well. But, Kevin, I, I, guys, I keep going back to Jeff Sims. I, I, I think Jeff Sims is one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. He's had the talent. Now he has the experience. 
and now he's kind of getting to reset things with a new offensive coordinator. And it, it, it's hard to answer the question, what does Chip Long want to do kind of right this second? He's been through multiple uh, spots the last few years, but I think you've seen big plays with his offenses. You've seen uh, passing attacks that go to multiple different people where you have, you know, the tight ends are involved, the backs are involved, you push the ball to the perimeter. But to me, Jeff Sims uh, is, is the player to build around for this program. Well, let's start with an offensive identity. Uh, obviously, I think last year and really under Dave Patton, they didn't really have an offensive identity. Again, you had Clemson. Ben's talked about this a number of times. Clemson on the ropes. I had Clemson uh, beat potentially. You're on the one-yard line. You have one of the best running backs in the country, and he didn't get the ball. Not, not It wasn't a should you run it or throw it. To, you, he wasn't even on the field. Your best player wasn't, wasn't even on the field. Uh, Virginia Tech, a game, again, driving the ball, chance to win. You get inside the 20, need to score a touchdown. You run the ball four straight plays. Your best running back was not on the field. Like, what? what is your identity there? Are you? Can you pass the ball? What, what are you trying to do? So I, I think, think that was th- a fair criticism of yeah, Dave Patton. Yeah, I th- so, so I, I think there's some situation where you're going, you ran it four straight times, didn't get it. No, no, no passing you believe in at that, that standpoint. Your best player wasn't on the field even as a decoy. Like, uh, there were some things to question, I think, with that. Now, for Chip Long, it's what's the offensive identity? And you better find one pretty quickly uh, with what you want to do with this bunch. Because if they if they can, I think you could have some success. Again, you did lose some running backs, uh, but you have a sophomore slash three-year starter uh, at left tackle, thanks to you know the, the COVID protocols. You have a sophomore, thanks to COVID protocols, quarterback who's played for, for two years. Uh, and you have some guys you've brought in on the offensive line via the transfer portal and some some wide receivers. You, you have some guys who can make plays. You just have to have a clue as to what you're trying to do, right? I mean, that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, you, you have playmakers. Now, what are you going to do with them? Uh, and does it make even does it even make sense? Defensively, I think that's where they've been the biggest disappointment, and losing a bunch of guys uh, in the transfer portal probably doesn't, doesn't help. But Jeff Collins is supposed to be a defensive guy. You had problems on defense. Senior-laden secondary. They were not good in terms of creating turnovers. Uh, you look at the defensive coordinator who has been in conjunction with Jeff Collins. He was not fired. He was simply moved and not given a position. Was, so he's Andrew gonna, Thacker. Andrew Thacker. He was, he's going to have more time to work on just the game plan and not deal with a position. Is that something that's been addressed? Is the defense going to be better? I think as a defensive coach, when your defense isn't good, you start looking, it's kind of like I was at Florida and Steve Spurrier is running my team and the offense has got awful. I'd be like, Steve, that's what you're supposed to be good at, right? Like it's, it's, it's understandable if the defense isn't up to snuff. You work on that. But your offense, which you're kind of labeled as an offensive guru guy, had better be good. Well, again, Jeff Collins, your, off, your defense had better be good. You can't be last. You can't be last in the country in, in interceptions. You can't be last in the league in creating turnovers. That's not what you do. You're the, what, the minister of mayhem. Well, there is no mayhem. So I don't know who you're preaching to. <laughs> it's kind of kind of at the end of the day. So I think for him, those are some of the problems you have got to get ironed out if you want there to be a year five uh, at, at Georgia Tech. Listen, you want to know what uh, you want to know what being a head coach of football is? Is everything Kevin just explained? Because no one, because because you know all the things we're talking about right now. You know, you got it. You got a three year starter. You know what Sims? You got you got different guys you can build off of. BJ, you talk about the schedule. You talk about being able to show where they're going to be on offense. That's not going to matter when you kick the ball. That's going to be Georgia Tech versus Team X. And they're not going to talk about who was in the transfer portal. They're going to look at wins and losses. And unfortunately, the bottom line is the only thing that matters in football. I think Jeff Collins is going to have to say to himself, look, 
We're gonna have to we're gonna have to empty the toolbox, fellas. We're gonna have to do everything. If we gotta be vanilla on offense to keep us afloat and, and help our defense, because I don't know what the strength of the team is gonna be this year. But I just go back to the fact that look, Tennessee, I I did not see them doing what they did like, at all. At all. So I just think if you are Jeff Collins, you gotta say to yourself, look, man, this might be my last hurrah. Yes, you know, he's been the head coach of Georgia Tech, hasn't been hasn't been a lot to to feel good about, but you got to find a way uh, to try to win some games you shouldn't. Uh, you're going to have to find a way to be in every game. Because that's another thing, too. Losing is one thing. How you look losing is going to have a lot to do with it, too, because we still we still a couple of years away from the early time. Early time they're still alive and well. And you see coaches, that they, they don't give you the end of the season no more. They try to go ahead and, you know, and I'm, this, I, for the, I'm not calling for Jeff Collins' job. By the way, I'm not saying that. But you know how it is, BJ. Perception is reality. It's a and big if, spring. And you and if you don't show any type of prompt, BJ, me and you were there for the first spring game when they came out in the, you know, they came out in the triple. People were like, oh, then they, they said, you know, they said check. And obviously, guys, and people started clapping. What you didn't realize was, I mean, you haven't seen much of that. So it, we, we'll see what happens. I, but I do think Jeff Sims is going gonna to have to be the focal point because he is your veteran leader. We've got more to come certainly as they get underway. We'll continue to see reports coming out of Atlanta about uh, that progress there. We'll come back. We'll talk a little Braves baseball. Doc Herbert's Platinum Sobrero podcast. He'll join us. We'll talk about Freddie Freeman. Talk about what the Braves have first and foremost to get done once that agreement is reached. He'll join us next here three and out. And hopefully we'll see Adam Wayne right back out there on the baseball field soon when uh, baseball gets all this uh, labor mess situated and hopefully we're playing baseball sooner rather than later and uh, joining us here uh formerly of the platinum sobrero podcast doc herbert joining us here on three and out doc welcome to the show how are you i'm doing fantastic how are you doing hey we're doing fantastic we're, the only thing that could be better is if we actually had an agreement in place and new baseball uh was going to be played moving forward but did want to get your thoughts on what the braves have to do here uh obviously once when if uh, an agreement is reached What's left for the Braves to do before you can even start about, oh, well, spring training is going to start here in, in a couple of days after the agreement is done. What is priority number one, two, three, you think, on Alex Anthopoulos' list to get done immediately? Well, you know, I think that uh, the the 9,000-pound gorilla in the room is certainly Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, that it all hinges on him. I mean, you, you can look at certain things and whether or not they bring back Eddie Rosario or Jock Peterson or – some type of left-handed hitter. That's that's the biggest category they need is left-handed hitter right now because they've got Freddie and Ozzy sometimes. Um, you know, they, there's not a lot of left-handed uh, that, that are to be found, so I think they need to do that. But it all hinges on Freddie because you can say, all right, if he goes somewhere else, which I've been very clear, I, I don't think he goes anywhere else. But let's say that he does. You know, so you got to fill fill that hole with a lefty. Maybe it's Matt Olson. Maybe it's Anthony Rizzo. But what that does do unfortunate as that might be, is it frees up an extra $24, 25000000 on top of what you're already getting from Chris Martin and Drew Smiley leading. So you got 40 million to play with. And they've already, you know, they locked down some of the, uh, some of the guys that they were, had questions about, like Darno and Morton. You know, they got those guys locked down. So they have some really good uh, pieces that are there, but it all hinges on Freddie. Now, if you are going into the offseason with Freddie at first and you've got $20 million just from the from Martin and Smiley that I mentioned leaving, plus whatever residuals from the battery, and there's been gradual payroll increases over the past couple of years. You can fill any of those holes. Somebody like Rosario, I think, is logical. One, because he's lefty. Two, because he's an outfielder. And three, there's the familiarity. 
he's not as good as he was in the NLCS. Like, nobody's that good. But he's a pretty serviceable guy that you could put out there. I think that they also could use another really reliable pitcher. You don't really know what you're going to get out of Charlie after the broken leg. Max and Ian had to pitch deeper in the playoffs than uh, than we've ever seen them before. Obviously, they went into November. So um, you want another really good, solid arm. You got some some options in house. Kyle Wright's start or the, his appearance in the World Series was amazing, but he's been very inconsistent. Tucker Davidson, Kyle Muller, all kind of back end guys. You need a really solid four. So maybe somebody like a Carlos Rodon uh, dealt with injuries uh, with the White Sox last year, but when he's good, who man, he is really really good. But it, like I said, it all comes back to Freddie. You mentioned, Doc, you're not sure necessarily that, that, that Freddie's going to leave, but there are some reports, you know, kind of momentum, I guess, uh, with various reports and social media that it looks like the Braves may not be the favorite, at least in the eyes of some. What's your what what's your kind of feel on that? Uh, do you want my a million percent honest opinion? I think baseball writers are desperate for clicks, and not one thing that's come out about Freddie since the lockout started has been timely or accurate. Because... If he's not talking to the Braves, he's also not talking to the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, Mariners, Tigers, Rangers, whoever. He's not talking to anybody. So if Buster Olney comes out with an article today where he's like, oh, the, the growing industry belief is that Freeman's going to go elsewhere. Well, based on what? What's changed? You know, nobody's been able to negotiate for 80-something days. You know, and the only team we know for sure that has offered Freddie money is the Braves. And if I were to ask you guys, 10 worst contracts in Major League Baseball history. You don't have to answer that, but I bet you just thought of Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, and Eric Hosmer. Three first basemen who signed absolutely oppressive deals after they turned 30. The worst contracts in baseball are always after 30. The sample size is big enough. If I was the Braves, I would be thinking twice about signing Freddie, just based on the profile. Different thing when you take into account the personality, the history, all that. Do not think he leaves, and even there was a there was an article, not excuse me, not an article, an appearance that Chipper Jones did on on a different radio station, and he was asked about it. Now, what a lot of people saw was the headline saying, "Well, Freddie wasn't as happy with the offers he got from the Braves, and you know he's being courted by the prettiest girls on the block." And you read that, and you freak out. But if you just read it then you're reading 280 characters at a time. This was a several-minute interview during which Chipper was like, if he wants to play for the Braves, he's going to play for the Braves. You know? And that's what it all comes down to. Nobody knows anything at this point. Until the lockout gets lifted, like, I urge anybody who read that about Chipper, who read that from Chipper, go back and listen to it. It sounds so different than it reads. So as long as everybody's following the rules, which there's no guarantee that they are, nobody's supposed to be talking with anybody. And let's say that it gets to March 1st, or February 28th was the deadline next Monday, that the, that the league and the players' union established, and they said, we can negotiate up until this date, and we can still have a regular season. So let's say a deal gets done that day, and all of a sudden you're Freddie Freeman. It's March 1st, and you don't have a home. You're looking for a $200 million contract from people that don't know you, that you've never negotiated with. To me, every day that the lockout goes on, it benefits the Braves a little bit more. Because, like I said, the only team we know that's offered him money is the Braves. So maybe he takes a short deal, one year and $35 million, if the Braves are willing to offer it to him, 
clear him of that qualifying offer, hit the market next year? Because that's another thing about Freddie is that in the CBA, we don't know what's going to happen with draft pick compensation. We don't know whether or not um, the qualifying offer is going to matter. But that's just one more reason why another team might just be like, I'm not giving this guy $200 million <laughs> when everything points to the fact he's going to fall apart and I'm going to lose a draft pick too. So I just took the really long way of saying I wouldn't read too much into it. And I, I mean, I, you know, I agree. I think sometimes when you think about the Freddie Freeman situation, people are going to go crazy because of who he is and what he means to this organization. But when you think about it as a whole, I mean, Alison Thompson, it's his job to try to figure this thing out. But it's not as if they didn't offer him the most money ever given, or the most money for the for the uh, for the best first baseman in baseball. How much is this has more to do with this? Is just how the front office of the Braves does business because they got to think about the future in the present. A million percent, a million percent. Because look. When you know, we talk about the Cabrera, Pujols, Hosmer deals, there's no guarantee that Freddie's going to do that. But let's say for a second that that's exactly what happens. You get two or three good years out of him, and on the back end of his deal, which will be backloaded, guaranteed, he's making $40 million a year to be dead weight at first base. So right this second, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, Ozzy and Acuna are locked up. People know all about the contracts. But you're looking at some of the next wave now, Danzy Swanson. Max Freed, um, you know, there's, there's any number of guys that are, that are on the farm now. They could take that next step. You know, a couple years ago, Max Freed looked like he might have been somebody, maybe not, and he's grown into it. Mike Soroka looked like he was going to grow into it, and he just can't stay healthy. So you never know. But you do have guys that you're going to have to pay. And I don't feel good about letting Max Freed walk because they were obsessed with throwing money at Freddie Freeman. You know, and there's, there's – baseball is hard because you, you have to pay – for past, you're giving future money for past performance, and that's just kind of not how things work. But look, coming off of a World Series, things are things are just different now. They just seem differently now, and like there's not that same anxiety of like needing to force a title like it's seen for the past quarter century. You know what I mean? It's like they can kind of not they can relax, but they they don't have to make desperate moves and. Freddie's the preferred move, but there's a real chance that they could get desperate with it. Like the most impactful thing that Steve Cohen, who is the new owner of the Mets, the most impactful thing that he's done was not spend his money because he's a billionaire. He's going to spend money. He gave Max Scherzer $43 million a year to make other people spend the money. And just like that, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager and Javi Baez, all these guys are getting awful contracts, just terrible terrible contract because Steve Cohen set the market. So Alex Anthopoulos is really good at operating in a vacuum and just doing his own thing and using his analytics department to find guys that are under the radar that you're going to get great performance from for half the cost. Look at what he did at the 2021 deadline. Now it's not always going to be like that, but that's something that he is really, really good at. So he needs if he's going to give Freddie that money, he needs to retain his analytics department because he might need to lean on him more in the future, just in case he needs to bargain hunt for somebody because he's hamstrung by the Freddie deal. Yeah, it's certainly a big yin and yang that the Braves are going to have to weigh out uh, when they go through this thing. And uh, Doc Herbert, Platinum Sombrero Podcast, Doc, we appreciate the time. I know you guys just recently uh, dropped the final uh, Platinum Sombrero Podcast, and congratulations on a great run. Uh, with that, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, and joining us. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it. Doc Herbert, our guest here 
on Three and Out. We've got more to come all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here, Three and Out on this Tuesday, two, 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 two. The uh, the day today, everybody celebrating that. A lot to uh, to get to as we go throughout the show. Rich Styles will join us, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Uh, we'll look at Phil Mickelson. Certainly, he has not become the most popular guy on the PGA Tour the last uh, couple of weeks. We'll talk to Rich about that as you get ready for the Players' Championship in a couple of weeks and certainly the Masters in the early portion of April right around the corner. But I uh, did want to uh, at least throw it out there, uh, Georgia football signing E.J. Lightsley uh, shot multiple times in Fitzgerald, Georgia on Monday. Reportedly is in stable condition, according to Fitzgerald Police Chief William Smallwood Jr., and no suspects have been uh, taken into custody in regards to that, but apparently is recovering and is in stable condition. So some good news uh, there for that young man. Yeah, sending our thoughts and prayers and just a uh, really, really scary situation. Yeah, we just wish him nothing but the best. Absolutely. Again, we'll see uh, if they apprehend somebody in that situation. Hopefully they do, and uh, they are brought to account for for that. But did want to respond, BJ, to uh, Doc Herbert there talking about the Braves and Freddie Freeman. And a lot of people, and again, it's social media. Social media is land of freaking out, right? I mean, if there's anybody, any place you can go to just lose it and freak out, it's social media. And, of course, Buster only comes out and it's like, it is, it is, is increasingly, what is the exact phrase? Like, it's becoming increasingly thought that Freddie Freeman is, oh, here we go. There's a growing belief that Freddie Freeman will land somewhere outside of Atlanta. According to whom? Well, he did have a prediction right. from an executive as okay, well. Okay, from an executive. Was it, was, was it the Braves executive? Or was it, say, you know, the Yankees executive? Or the Mets executive? Or, or the Texas Rangers executive who would like to sign Freddie Freeman? Hey, I, I'm going to go off the record. Yeah, I know I'm with the Rangers, but we believe that there's a uh, growing chance that Freddie Freeman not going to sign with the Braves. Why? Because you want him? Because obviously you're not supposed to be able to talk to players during this lockout. I'm as Ben said. That's not to say it doesn't happen. I'm sure there's back channels. I didn't directly talk to him. I talked to somebody who knows somebody who got it to his agent who told Freddie Freeman. But unless you talk to Freddie Freeman, how can you say there's a growing belief that Freeman's going to land somewhere else? Because as he said, he's gotten one offer, and that's from the Atlanta Braves. He hasn't talked to any other clubs. Not supposed to anyway. Hasn't received any other offers from any other clubs. What other than hey, it's a little lower than what I thought it was going to be. You guys didn't give me the last year. Other than that, what leads you to believe that it's just not going to happen? And as he said, I think it's just a little downtime, uh, you know, clickbaiting going on out there because it's a hot topic. One of the best players in the league is up for free agency. Braves made an offer. He said no. Okay. Let's come back to the negotiating table. And again, I think it's going to be fast and furious once this uh, agreement gets done, whenever that is, because you're going to have a bunch of teams that say, look, I need to get a DH now. I need to get my first baseman back, Braves. Uh, so, But, I mean, do you think the Braves, while clearly wanting Freddie Freeman, are creating I, a contingency plan? I mean, well, I, you're not doing your job. If Alex Anthopoulos has no contingency plan for not having Freddie Freeman, he yeah. needs to be fired. Yeah. And I say that as a, knowing he's a GM that just won the World Series. Ben knows this. You can have Steve McNair. If you are the Tennessee Titans and you don't have a contingency plan for not having Steve McNair... Your GM should be. But I guess fired. what I'm asking is, how do you, given the timetable that you can't okay. do anything, kind of weigh the options of a potential trade versus the contract of somebody you can't even talk to? How do you balance that? Well, you just have to sit there and run scenarios. How do you how do you run draft scenarios when you don't draft for the other 32 te- or the 31 teams? 
You just have to run every possible scenario. What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? We've got to be prepared to make a, a counter move, and who are we willing to go make a deal with to try to get somebody in here to, uh, to replace Freddie Freeman? We'll step aside, take three, right around the corner. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Good to have you here. Busy hour number two, uh, NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah's got Mock Draft 2.0 out. Very intriguing Mock Draft for the Atlanta Falcons there. We'll also talk to Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Is Phil Mickelson uh, becoming persona non grata around the the PGA Tour? We'll talk to uh, Rich about that coming up in just a little bit here in hour number two as well. But let's take three here on three and out on this two. 22, 22, take one. Or should I say take two? Is this take two, 22? Anyways, rank your top three wide receivers, BJ. Man, Put on your thinking caps, top three wide receivers in this draft. Certainly Atlanta could be looking for one. A lot of mock drafts have them taking one. Who are your top three guys in the draft? Great class, great group of wide receivers. And and I'm going to have guys clearly that are uh, not in my top three who are first-round picks. I think you're going to have maybe five. Maybe maybe even six wide receivers go in the first round. Number one for me is Jamison Williams. I know he's coming off of the ACL, but I think playmaking level is on a different level. He averaged 19.9 yards per catch. That's extraordinary. And, and had 15 touchdowns as well. You don't see guys average 20 yards per catch. That's like Calvin Johnson type stuff. And Jamison Williams is a receiver that can play on the perimeter, a receiver that can play in the slot. You can utilize him a number of different ways. I think he is instant offense. I'll go Jamison Williams out of Alabama 1. Number 2 for me, Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. I might be a little higher on him than some others. 6'3", 225. I think, Ben, we've seen some comps, and I know you don't like comparisons, but is he kind of an Anquan Bolden type, potentially a wide receiver? But again, big plays, 17 yards per catch. 16.7 to be exact in the SEC. And that was playing in a passing offense where – you were probably the you know the clear number one what? option. Going say early against, in the season, there were a lot of yeah. people that thought he was the best receiver yeah. in college football. Going up against the number one corners, you know, and probably double coverage, and still putting up these numbers uh, over a thousand yards, doing it in the SEC West. I just love his proven production. And then speaking of proven production, have a hard time separating between teammates with Garrett Wilson, but I think I'm going to lean Chris Olave, uh, the six one receiver out of Ohio State. His 35 career touchdowns. I mean, think about Chris Carter. All he does is catch uh, catch touchdown passes. Chris Olave, 35 career touchdown passes. So I love Wilson. I love uh, uh, Drake London. I think Jalen Tolbert's going to be great. I mean, I think George Pickens, uh, Justin Ross, there are John Mechie, so many guys. But for me, I will go Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave. Love those three guys. I mean, our, our list is pretty similar, BJ, but I mean, I'm – I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take. Uh, but I got. I got two Ohio State Buckeyes in my top three. My number three is Gary Wilson, BJ. For everything you just said, I mean, this guy. I mean, you talk about being able to share the football. Gary Wilson was a guy that had to go out there. You know, uh, you, you talk about that long line of great uh, Ohio State receivers. I mean, he fits right in. I mean, uh, what was six feet tall with 190 some pounds? Can, but really, really good in and out of cuts. I think he's gonna be a guy to definitely make a lot of noise at the next level. I mean, double digit touchdowns. I just think that now with it, with a league that you got to be. You know, uh, the bigger corners got to go up against, like, shifter receivers. I think Gary Wilson's going to be a big-time player. My number two is Chris Olave. We forgot about Chris Olave really, really quick. Uh, preseason, uh, going 
preseason, I mean, he was on all the All-American lists. But, I mean, you look at – we didn't realize just how great the receiving core was at Ohio State. Didn't play in the bowl game. Got his – got his uh, let his teammates go out there and kind of show what they can do. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. goes to Ohio State. I mean, he has, like, double-digit touchdowns. They had a freaking receiver uh, in the bowl game that had, like, a, a season worth of yards in one game. But my number one is Drake London. I think I think sometimes, Kabisha, you had James James Wilson on uh Williams on yours, another guy who uh suffered a uh you know suffered an injury in the in the national championship. I want to give you listen, six six five, two hundred and ten pounds. He had eighty eight catches, one thousand eighty four yards, seven touchdowns in eight games. I mean, I think sometimes when we get to talking about, you know, guys who could definitely go out there and make it happen, you talk about USC and at one point they was putting him out year after year after year. Start with Keyshawn Johnson back in 96, being, I think, the number one overall pick in that draft. And that, and that was the golden era, T.O. and Marvin Harris and all those guys, Heinz Ward, so on and so forth. But I just think he's had a full year to recover. Going to have to get a little bigger. That's something, B.J., that me and you talked about, too. I mean, 6'4", 210, I don't know if that's going to hold up just from, the, just from like the wear and tear and getting hit. But, I mean, Drake London, I mean, big-time talent coming from a big-time program. Had a chance to go a full season uh, as far as, like, getting his, uh, getting his ankle back right. But, yeah, I mean, Drake London, you know, Chris Olave, Gary Wilson, that's my, that's my top three. But, I mean, BJ, a lot of those guys you mentioned, I mean, you talk about uh, Traylon Burks, you're talking about James Williams. A lot of those guys are going to have a chance to be number one receivers at the next level. A lot of good receivers, as you said, in this draft. Take two, which SEC team are you most interested to see here during spring ball, spring practice? I think it's South Carolina. And I think there's room for somebody to make a run in the SEC East. Now, a lot of people feel like it's Tennessee, and understandably so, with what they did last year. Hendon Hooker coming back. Uh, he, along with Stetson Bennett, ranked in the top five in the country in passer rating. You have playmakers coming back. Defensively, you'll, you'll have depth uh, if you're Tennessee. But I think South Carolina had a better year than people thought with a really tough schedule in year one of the Shane Beamer era. Now, you have to replace some big-time talent, but you bring in Spencer Rattler, and that's – where my interest lies for the spring. Yes, there are great players at other positions, but you bring in one of the most recognizable stars in the country, how's the offense going to look? What are what what are the kind of reports going to be on how this group is gelling together? You also bring in Austin Stogner, the the tight end who was all conference with Spencer Rattler. So, you think about uh this 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 roster, the talent that's on the team already, and now you have Spencer Rattler to go along with a returning talent base that is good and a team and program that has momentum. Remember, uh, won, the, won the Dukes-Mayo Bowl over North Carolina. I think South Carolina should have the attention of the SEC East. And the fact that Spencer Rattler's there, you would expect a little more consistency in, in year two of a new coaching staff. I think South Carolina, the Gamecocks, are going to be exciting to watch this spring. I mean, surprise, surprise. Obviously, I would love to go with some, some you know, very, very interesting. I know you got LSU. I know you got Tennessee. I know uh, Georgia's uh, replacing a lot of coaches. I am going to go with my Florida Gators for everything that I'm seeing right now with Billy Napier. The guy seems to understand. I mean, to go from in the 60s and recruiting to, I think, what, 16 or something like that he ended up getting, he shows that he understands what it takes to get it done. I mean, bringing back guys like Mike Peterson on the staff. I mean, what you going to do at the quarterback position? You know you got Anthony Richardson. Does Emory Jones stay there at quarterback, or does he move to another position? What's going to be the offensive identity? Because last year it was kind of like back and forth. Was able to run the ball. Wasn't really that that uh, that well, um, you know, wasn't really that efficient pushing the ball down the field. No Ty Grantham. 
And I want to see what his defense is going to look like. I just think sometimes when you talk about uh, a guy like Billy Napier, BJ, obviously, Kevin, we know him and what he did at Louisiana, was able to pull a lot of guys from Louisiana who was either on the team or was going to go to Louisiana. We get a, we get a, uh, Florida gets their chance at having an E10, even though his first, listen, I mean, his first name is not Travis, but we get his little brother. I just think that Florida going to have to go out there and show a lot. And Kevin and BJ, you know this. Every throw Anthony Richardson makes is going to be, oh, my God. But I think that with everything's going on from the coaching staff to the five different phases to getting guys back to not, you know, uh, you know, uh, not being, uh, you know, happy about making bowl games because we, you know, you saw what happened in that bowl game. Shout out to the UCF Knights. I ain't, I ain't taking nothing away from them. I think Florida gonna really have to go out there and show, hey man, we are the sec, we are the second best team in the East, and obviously you're gonna have to try to win that perception battle this spring. Ben Ben picked Florida. Yeah, just for it's amazing. I, I'm 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 surprised that. that hey, hey, listen, I ain't I'm put on not, the homer shoes in a long. This no, the I'm first saying, homer shoe I put on this whole this whole. I ain't did it in a long time. That's all I'm saying. Well, you can't wear them every day. You wear out the tread. So I mean, you gotta do. Uh, I, I I just say, look, I thought you guys missed the layup on this question. Get LSU? your get your popcorn out and watch Auburn. Like, come on. <laughs> like, well, like, you right. You right. It's going. It's well. We'll. This is the thing like, too, right? You right. I mean, I thought you were gonna say oh, Brian Kelly, but then you don't know how he's gonna be talking in the press conferences. I mean, is he gonna be? Oh, that's true. He one day he might come out talking like a dude from uh, you know, Bobby Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> special teams coach. Yeah, special teams coach there at uh, at LSU. <laughs> well, I will say this though: the recruit that he was dancing with, that he decided not to come to LSU, and you know that you haven't seen any more dancing of Brian Kelly. So we don't want to see yeah. that. Well, I think we can just stop that with all coaches altogether. Stop dancing with recruits. It's bad. Just just stop. It's not going to look good. All right, moving along. Take three after the latest meetings. Reports are that MLB and the Players Association are still far apart. Is progress being made? I guess. I mean, now we're at least hearing that there are multi-hour meetings and some concessions are being made, which compared to where we were, where uh, meetings were not happening, I guess then by proxy, yes. Now, are we any closer to the start of spring training and having a 162-game season? Probably not right now, but I guess you're looking for Modest steps in the right direction. Uh, I, I I think you can say that. Still far apart. I wonder if that's. I wonder how much of this is Kevin. Maybe. And Ben, you've been involved in this. If we're a little closer than is being reported, but you're maintaining this 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 angle that we're so far away to kind of try to maintain your leverage. I mean, Kevin, like you've said, I I am very pessimistic about this. I don't. But you are on those it. things, just right. if we're being fair. But, I mean. but, but what I'm getting at is, to your point, which you have long made, are we going to reach a day where all of a sudden everybody shows up and goes, all right, let's just do it now. And kind of all of the ups and downs, and this isn't going to happen, and it it all just kind of moves along. I, I don't know. But I think the fact that they're meeting and are at least having conversations is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I do think it is progress. You know, very, very slow moving process at this point. I mean, let's face it, you got two sides that don't want to bend. I mean, owners are gonna always think that players want too much. Players are gonna always think that owners uh, is not giving them enough. And the thing is, too, we're talking about we're talking about depressing things. I mean, they got to agree to this before they can get to other other issues. But I do agree. The closer you get to, you know, panic mode, you're not there yet. You you still got you still got some leeway. Cause let's face it, owners don't want to look like they gave in to the players. I mean, we don't even factor this in. Owners in one league are being looked at the owners in other leagues. Say, hey man, this is what owners do in all leagues. We you know we play hardball, but I do think that the closer you get to the fact that people are gonna start losing checks, I don't care if you make 
You know, obviously the the 24th, 25th guys can't make. But Mike Trout them ain't interested in losing no money, man. I mean, anything that reminds them, you know, of that 50 game, the 50 game season, they don't want to. They don't want to go back to that. But the fact that they are meeting long, because at first, Kevin, we what 15 minutes with the players, 20 minutes with some somebody on the 35 minutes and all. That's 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 not a meeting. That's a lunch break. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I do think that <clears throat> the fact that they are meeting longer means that they are taking into consideration. They still far apart with the money. But uh, the one thing about it is I know we talked about, quote, who's, quote, talking to Freddie Freeman behind the scenes. They're, they're not talking behind the scenes, but they're kind of communicating a little bit. Hopefully, uh, these things get done sooner rather later. But I am optimistic because if you hear no, they're not meeting at all, that's when you start panicking because that arbitrator, whoever yeah. thought they were going to be in the middle, it's not going to happen. I mean, I think you come to the point in the proceedings where everybody knows, look, there's an event on the horizon coming up that needs to be happening. And that is, if there's no major ba- major league baseball, you guys suffer and we suffer. Maybe we don't suffer in the same degree, but we have an asset that's not making any money in our portfolio. You have a paycheck that's not coming. So I think there's some impetus to get there. And Ben, I think uh, just in these negotiations, now granted you've added a couple zeros to it, but I think in any negotiation like this, as you said, the players, you go to go to buy a house, you come up to, the, to, to start working on the final numbers, you say, hey, all right, they're at this, we're over here. Okay, you want you want this? Hey, could you could you paint the walls in the house? Could you fix this? And we're good. Well, I don't really want to put in my well, what if you just knock that off the end price? And I'll fix it. Starting to get into some of that. And again, a lot of people will say, well, you definitely won't get it if you don't ask. And I think some of the stuff with the players like, do they really want some of this stuff? Absolutely. So what do you do? It's no different. You go buy a house. Is the first offer you make the one that you want to Hey, my first offer is going to be the maximum I'm willing to pay. Or do you walk in there and say, I'm going to give them exactly I understand that, what's but, I guess, but, 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 but I guess the but difference is you, you don't say, have fans sitting, feeling like they're being overlooked and ignored and all that. Fans and, uh, don't matter. I, I hate to say that fans it, it, don't matter. But, but again, when it they comes— should, They should—listen, when I say fans don't matter is, I'm just saying this. Just look at it like this. Just, just take it, to, just take it to, to individual you. When you got your car, did you care about what anybody thought about how much you paid for it, or are you in there negotiating? That's how it is. That's that's I, I nego- that, that's negotiations is the people in yeah. the room. When somebody I'm just saying, out- I think you reach a point where but, playing but, that game but, has a but negative. In these, but but Ben's right. I mean, as much as the fans want to have a stake and say, I'm, I'm mad at both these guys, you do not factor into the negotiations. Why? Because I am trying to figure out how we are going to pay them. And they are trying to figure out how we are going to pay them. And when guys come into the league... What do they want that's fair for us to pay them? How soon can they but get to You don't to think there's the potential, even with that understood and acknowledged, to have a no, negative impact I, I, that's somewhat lasting for n- baseball? N- maybe, but, but I, I do think at some point in the negotiations, nobody in the negotiations saying, guys, if we don't do this, there's going to be a bunch of people really mad at us. No, they're saying, we need to get this done so the game continues. If the game continues, they'll get over the fact that we squabbled during February and January. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, be, yeah, no, yeah, no one's going to remember that. Our biggest emphasis is the game continues. Why? No, I think people still talk about the strike from the from the mid-90s. I mean, a generation They talk later. about it. How many people do you know talk about the strike from the mid-90s and say, I've not spent one red cent, one millisecond talking about baseball? I guarantee you that's zero. Almost zero. Because nobody's going to just randomly bring up, oh, I still hate baseball from the 90s because they messed me over with a strike. Well, you didn't get messed over in any of this. No money came out of your pocket. Nobody, and again, I'm not siding with owners or players. But you came back. You had a game that's good. The game is good. Either you like the game or you don't. I think fans will come back. You might be upset that they 
put themselves before the game. But at the end of the day, I think that's the goal. It's not the fans. The goal is we need to play because without play, there is no money coming in for either of us. And that's not a good thing. With no games, there's no TV. And again, I've said this a number of times, guys. Most in professional sports, most of the time, if people were being honest, they probably don't care if fans show up because of the money deals and all that. Like They want people there, obviously, but do you need a sellout every night? Nope, because you got TV deals that's driving all the money and things of that nature in a lot of these professional sports nowadays. So I am optimistic they will get something done. I think they're far apart now because it's Monday and Tuesday. After you've been talking to the same people for three weeks, like, look, that issue, they are just not going to budge on it. I'm willing to concede you that, but if you're going to concede me that, we ain't budging over here. So let's let's meet on these two things. We agree you're not going to give in over here. You agree we're not going to give in over here, and let's sign off on it. Boom. Next item. Or find a happy medium on those things where it's like, look, we know you're not going to budge. That is a hard issue you are not willing to give in on. How about we meet you 50% of the way there? We agree you're hard on that, and we're telling you we're not willing to go 100%. We are willing to come here. Will you meet us here? And I think that's how negotiations work, and I think that's what Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is going to be. And then you get down to it, and you sign off on it and get that free agency ball rolling, and it's going to be the wild, wild west. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're going to get a lot of media-driven pub off of that. Deal's done. And for the next two weeks, it's going to be nothing but Freddie Freeman signed, this guy signed, this guy signed. And you're going to be dominating the news with guys on new teams, getting big deals and all that. And I think a lot of people say, when's the first game? Two weeks? All right, be there. And so I think that is uh, a lot of what is driving professional sports. we got more to come here. That's take three. We do it every day. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben will chat with Rich Stiles of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show coming up here in just a little bit. Phil Mickelson put out a statement uh, today uh, apologizing for what he had said in some uh, earlier comments and saying he's still trying to make change on the PGA Tour. So we'll talk to Rich Stiles about that coming up in just a little bit after some uh, controversial comments uh, earlier in the week or a couple weeks earlier and now you know, coming back on that saying, look, I, if I've given all my sponsors an opportunity. If they want to drop me, they can drop me, and I'll continue to support them even if I don't have a contract with them. So we'll talk to Rich Styles about that coming up here in just a few minutes. So kind of some breaking news there out of the PGA Tour. So been an uh, interesting couple of weeks there for Phil Mickelson, of course, uh, possibly with involvement in the potential Saudi Tour that's uh, trying to get started and more. Yeah, just just terrible comments. I mean, I mean, unacceptable comments he made. Uh, we'll ask Rich kind of what's what's next, why he would why he would say what he said, but just uh, the initial comments that he issued the statement for just absolutely terrible, unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I mean, when you talk about situations like today with Phil Mickelson, I mean, you know, everything ain't meant to be said, and uh, obviously he's trying to do damage control right now. I mean, when's the last time? <clears throat> A player of his caliber came by and said something like, "I mean, if any if any of my you know sponsors want to drop me, I I still want to I would still support y'all." But hey, man, you know you got you got You got you got to live in it. This is what you said. This is what you're dealing with right now. And obviously, we're gonna be able to talk to Rich Styles more about it. But you know more than what it does to Phil and what it does to the PGA, what it does to the guys that play on the PGA because they're gonna ask him about it. I'm sorry, but I know it's an individual sport. But everybody involved will be asked about the comment. And you've kind of had uh, a lot of guys kind of just saying, "Look." I'm with the PGA Tour. Like, they've had to come out. Like, nobody's made, like, those declarations uh, before of, I'm with the PGA Tour. You was there, but you could go play in an uh, Asian Tour in an off week. Uh, you could go play in a World Golf Championship event, uh, et cetera. 
and there hasn't been anything like that. This is a new tour, obviously trying to get started, obviously throwing a lot of money at guys. Phil making some comments to kind of, I guess, validate a potential decision to go uh, over to that uh, that way and be a part of that uh, that new tour. But again, backing off uh, some of that, not all of it, but some of it uh, in his uh, his statement today. And we'll talk to Rich about that coming up in just a little bit. But uh, mock drafts abound uh, all over the place. Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, BJ and Ben's got the Falcons now uh, with Kayvon Thibodeau falling to number eight. Now, this was a guy that two years ago people said, up oh, in two years he's going to be number one pick. A lot of people earlier this year said, up oh, going to be the number one pick. Now you've seen mock drafts anywhere because Jacksonville, it seems like, going to take an offensive lineman to protect their quarterback. Most people now think it's going to be Evan Neal out of Alabama. That opens things up to start slotting potentially in these mock drafts afterwards. But if he falls to number eight, you need a pass rusher. And there's a lot of people that would still say he might be the best available option you could get, and he could fall to number eight. That would be best-case scenario for Atlanta, I think. Uh, you've needed a, a an edge rusher, kind of a franchise edge rusher, for forever, and and Kayvon Thibodeau, for the longest time, Kevin, as you alluded to, was kind of mocked to be the lock first number one overall pick, and now you've seen the offensive linemen rise. You've seen a couple of couple of uh, other edge rushers potentially, maybe even move in front of Kayvon Thibodeau. But I think if you could get you know six five, his production, he lived up to the hype of being the number one overall recruit. You never know. And, Kevin, you mentioned a moment ago, how do you plan for the draft when you don't know what's – you don't know. He could go number one overall to Jacksonville by the time it's all said and done. But if Atlanta could get Kayvon Thibodeau at number eight, that would be the best-case scenario, I think, for that first-round pick. It really, really would. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is the guy, BJ, man, you got a chance to meet uh, with the Tigers' debut uh, a couple of years ago, um, well, three years ago now uh, at Florida State. I think he's the guy that he didn't tail off, like – when you're coming out of number one recruit in the country, when you got quarterbacks, when you got, you know, big time receivers and DBs and big time edge rushers, he didn't. And they showed off his athleticism uh, at Oregon. He's a guy that uh, picked Oregon over a lot of teams, really any team in the country uh, that he wanted. I think that would be a huge uh, get for a Falcons team. But let's face it, man, they need pass rushers. If you can get a premier pass rusher and he's on and he's a rookie, <clears throat> you can build, we'll try to build around him. I think that would be a huge get. I mean, I don't even, listen, Terry Fontenot, you know. I mean, I'm just saying, Oz Smith. If he's there, don't overthink it. That's a layup. Listen, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll be there today. I mean, look, look, like, like, listen. The one thing about it is clickbait. Dan Jeremiah and these guys, they know. Look, man, how can I get you to go look at my mock draft? Kayvon Thibodeau going to the five. What? That's gonna that's gonna get some eyes. But hey, man, BJ, we never ever know. Have you seen, now one mock draft has been the same since they came out? Everybody, it's almost like if we do mock drafts, we ain't allowed to make them look the same. No, we got to make them as controversial as possible. So hey, I mean, we'll see. Derek Stingley Jr. one day, Kayvon Thibodeau another day. Listen, you'll take both of those guys, but he had to pick between the two. I will go with Kayvon. And again, that would be, as you said, BJ, a best case scenario for Atlanta if indeed he I falls. I think him or Kyle Hamilton would be defensively, but sure, especially but, given that you've needed an edge rusher for a generation. Yeah, I think of if both Thibodeau's of those guys caliber. are gone, there's obviously some places you could go to improve your uh, your football team uh, in in other ways. But yeah, if either one of those guys were there, I think that's a a no brainer for Atlanta. You probably would go best guy on your board uh, at that point because I don't think. They're being honest with themselves. The Falcons may have a scenario where he falls to them, but they're probably not running too many mock drafts inside that uh, that war room that say, "Yeah, we feel like we got a good chance of getting uh, Kayvon Thibodeau there at uh, at number eight. We'll come back. Rich Stiles set to join us. Talk about Phil Mickelson. A lot of golf uh, coming up, and a lot of folks upset with Phil. We'll touch on that next here on three. Good to have you here, three and out on this Tuesday. PGA Tour 
A lot of folks having to uh, profess their dedication to the PGA Tour in light of a uh, attempted Saudi tour to uh, to pop up. Uh, Phil Mickelson has been kind of at the uh, the forefront of this, and uh, we, you've heard us talk about his comments. Uh, this is what kind of has started a lot of people on getting on Phil Mickelson for a quote he made uh, in an interview back in uh, November. He said, "Quote: They they killed a Washington Post reporter." Uh, Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. So not necessarily the best way to frame an issue uh, for Phil Mickelson. He's been catching a lot of flack, so much so that he has released a, a, a two-page statement today, kind of uh, apologizing for some of those comments and talking about his experience with uh, the people with the new tour and saying, look, I, my only intent is to try to in, inflict some change there on the PGA Tour. So here to join us uh, uh, and talk about all this, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Childs joins us. Rich, uh, for folks obviously that may not be following the Phil saga on the ins and outs, obviously he is trying to invoke some kind of change on the PGA Tour to where I think players would get a guaranteed sum uh, to play on the tour and threatening to go over there. But obviously, the context of the, the statements on Saudi Arabia and some of those guys to follow it up with, but at the end of the day, despite all that, it's still a good opportunity, obviously not sitting well with a lot of people. Yeah, the bottom line is I think the uh, main comment that all that we're all hearing about Phil is blah, 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 blah. And Phil has basically painted himself into a corner um, again, and, um, you know, he is one of those who shouldn't be. I mean, he's had other players out there calling him idiotic. That's what Billy Horschel called him the other day. Rory McIlroy called him uh, some other things. And the bottom line is that Phil has put himself in a situation, basically in a zoo by himself in his own cage, where he can't get out. And the the bottom line is that Phil's looking at an opportunity to become the star of the Saudi golf tour. And it is now backfired. Um, the Saudis were looking for anywhere from 15 to 20 players to come over there. And that's backfired. Uh, Greg Norman as the commissioner, I think that's backfired. Uh, uh, it's just one of those things that all of a sudden look like a tremendous opportunity and some competition for the PGA tour. And now all these players are going back and saying, I want to play with the best players, and that is the PGA Tour. And, you know, what does that do to the Saudi Tour? It gives them an opportunity to give out a lot of money to some players that maybe people don't know. So where is Phil? He's a never-never land by himself at this point. And, Rich, just some terrible comments. I mean, you mentioned a couple of golfers. What is the what is the response? And I know there's a, uh, uh, I guess, a social media post, Kevin, you referenced a moment yeah. ago. But what was what was the response? What has been the response to those initial comments uh, within golf? You mean Phil's comments? Yes. I don't think uh, anybody's looked at it as an apology. I think they're looking at it trying to a CYA aspect where I think, you know, Phil realized that he overstepped his boundaries. I mean, he's in a profession where he's made 20 to 40, 50 million dollars a year for the past 15, 20 years. Uh, besides that, whatever money that he made, you know, prior to that, I mean, he's been on the tour for quite a long time, but Phil's made quite a bit of money. So for him to say that the PGA Tour is greedy really comes off as saying Phil is greedy at this point. 
wanting more money, wanting things to change, wanting more cuts from this. And I think it's at a stage where Phil's 52 years old. He realizes that he can drive the ball as far as some of these other guys on the tour, but he can't compete anymore on the PGA Tour like he used to and like he would like to. And the Champions Tour, I don't think, is enough money or probably in his mind enough competition for him to stay on that tour, even though he's won a couple of times and had his pretty good record on the Champions Tour. But I think Phil put himself in a corner, realized he was out on an island by himself uh, based on the uh, issues with uh, the Saudis. And I think he's trying to dig himself out. And as his statement said, I think he's going to take a break. And I think at this point, Phil needs a break. And Rich, I mean, you talk about uh, Phil taking a break, and uh, you know, uh, you know, he, he's him needing one. Where does the PGA Tour go from here? Because obviously, you know, when situations happen with a guy's a name as big as Phil Mickelson, you you gotta you gotta have to be able to make uh, statements about it. Where 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 is going to be their contingency plan? Where is going to be their kind of like, listen, man, we didn't make the statements, but obviously, you know, they're going to have to address. Where do the PGA go from here? Well, I think the PGA Tour has made it quite clear that if anybody goes to the Saudi Tour and makes a commitment that they no longer get to play on the PGA Tour. Now, there may be some issues with that statement because all of these players are contract players. They're contract employees, and, um, you know, they can do what they want and play where they want. But the PGA Tour has made it clear. Their stance has been that if somebody decides to go play on the Saudi Tour, they are done with the PGA Tour except for the Open tournaments and the Masters because that's not run by the PGA Tour. And, Rich, are you surprised, as you said, golfers are, you know, independent contractors by, by, by all measure, that you've had so many guys come out and say, nope, I'm, I'm playing on the PGA Tour. That's what I mean. We have never, ever seen – granted, there hasn't been another kind of big option other than say, hey, I'm going to go play on the Euro Tour or something like that. But we've never seen guys come out and profess, hey, I'm a PGA Tour guy, uh, and that's where I'm going to play uh, in any kind of way. I think all of a sudden the guys have realized that the money that started in 96 when Tiger came out, that the money has just continued to grow, basically, a lot of that because of the TV rights. And the purses have, have increased tremendously. Um, I mean, coming up the Players' Championship, the winner's share is over $2 million. Second place is like $1.1, $1.2 million. I mean, the money is good. Um, you can shoot even par on the PGA Tour, and you can make over a million dollars a year if you make the cut. So, I mean, there's still a lot of money out there. The TV race really, really helps with the rights that obviously gives it an opportunity. The sponsorships are sold out through 2022, 2023, because um, I played golf with the guy who's in charge of that. He said he was working on 2023, 2024, at this point. So the money is there. It's not a question of can they make enough money? Yes, they make enough money, but they also make a lot of money through endorsements. And some of those endorsements, if some of these players decided to go to the Saudi tour, could pull back because they're not going to be on TV like they were before on the PGA tour. So money plays a lot of factors in this, but the bottom line is the PGA tour has given these players an opportunity to make a lot of money. Rich, to Kevin's point, in terms of guys coming out on social media saying, I'm, I'm here with the PGA Tour, 
what do will there be kind of a desire from the PGA Tour to want to see golfers come out and say this is where I am, this is where I'm staying, this is where I'm playing, this is where I'm going to be a pro golfer? Oh, of course. I mean, that just gives you more credibility and gives you more support and uh, gives you more, um, you know, obvious commitments to the brand. And the PGA Tours work many years, and they give out a lot of money to charity. They make a lot of money, but they also give out a lot of money to charity. And these guys are shooting every year, every week, for hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the year um, that they have an opportunity to make a lot of money. And I think the tour is right now relishing in the commitment and the outspokenness of some of their players. And I think right now, would you say that the Saudi Gulf is dead? I wouldn't say it's dead, but I think it's on uh, life support at this point. I mean, uh, <clears throat> when it's all said and done, Rich, I mean, obviously there's been some things that happen in golf. People say things sometimes. I'm, I'm not trying to act, act like I'm a holier than thou. Uh, but with, with, with the age of social media, how everything just gets even more polarized, how, I mean, how much has, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson hurt himself or really hurt the sport of golf when you think about him being such a big name, you know, making the statements that he made? Well, I think Phil has definitely hurt himself. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And I think his PR folks, uh, have kind of told him you need to back off and you need to take a break and you need to not be heard of for a while, not seen. Um, he'll probably come back at the Masters, um, uh, maybe one tournament before that. But I think Phil needs to take a break, uh, rethink his, his stance, rethink what he said, uh, rethink his commitment to the PGA Tour. You know, these other guys are out there knowing that they make a good living. And, you know, they're looking and seeing this guy who's been out there and he's won 40, 50 tournaments, made hundreds of millions of dollars off the PGA Tour, and now he's kind of, you know, backstabbing the organization that has given him the opportunity to have the lifestyle and the life that he has had for many, many years. Rich Tiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out. Rich, pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. You're welcome, guys. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us here on 3 and Out. And again, Phil Mickelson releasing a, a, a two-page, I say two-page because of how it showed on, on Twitter, uh, kind of apology about his comments and what he was trying to do. And again, I don't know if at the end of the day it's going to make any difference. I think uh, the backlash against Phil has been pretty, pretty swift from former players saying, look, we've made a lot of money over here. What are you talking about? And obviously the other stuff, uh, that came along with it when you're talking about, well, despite their human rights record, I'm, yeah. it's an opportunity. Well, oh, oh, okay. Uh, you, you, that, that is one of those things where I don't think you can have both. You can't be, I'm trying to change the PGA Tour by going over here and playing with an with, with a, uh, organization that I acknowledge has done some very, very, very unconscionable stuff. But it's an opportunity. No, no, you, you should just be like, that's it. I'm going to stay with the PGA Tour. Can we work to change things inside the league? Didn't do any of that. And now, as Rich said, kind of paying the price for that because you're a one-man island out there, uh, and nobody has really come to your aid or defense in any of this, and I don't think anybody will. So you're just kind of out there by yourself uh, defending or not or backing off your comments, whatever, uh, as Phil Mickelson. And now, obviously, he's not going to play anytime soon. And uh, as he even said, hey, I talked to my sponsors. They can drop me if they want, and I understand that. So... Kind of strange how it's gone that quickly because just a couple of years ago, right, everybody was all in on Phil out there in the, what winning the PGA Championship 
When everybody's circling the green, it's like, Phil at 40-some-odd years old is going to win a major. To now, nobody in Phil's corner. No, you're right. I mean, everybody's going to come out and say this is this is not okay to say. This is this is not okay to think. This is this is this is inappropriate. This is this is horrible. This is unacceptable. And and to phrase it the way he did and say, you know, they 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 killed this guy and a horrible record on human rights and they execute people for being being gay. But with all this, why would I consider it? Because it's a chance to no no. That's 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 so terrible. And it's it it's not okay to to say that. And I guess we'll see kind of how this latest statement. Uh, this latest statement is received, but I, I everybody's going to say you you cannot say things like that. You cannot think things like that. This is this is not a justification to try to make the PGA Tour what have more guaranteed money or, or have some changes. That's just that's just that's just bad. And and I, I agree with Rich. You you got to you know come out, address what you said, say you were wrong, and go away for a while. Listen, take the blame. Uh, give a real apology. I, you know, I, I think sometimes too. I mean, when you got when you got a person as popular, as rich, as wealthy as Phil Mickelson is, he'll go out there and say, "Oh, I talked to the people who I work with. This is what they told me." No, no, nobody should have to tell you to have to go out there, uh, you know, and make a statement. Then when you talk about being able to have to pick sides, if you're on a PGA tour, you got to pick a side. But even if you are friends of Phil, you can't align with him right now because we're talking about the statements. When people start saying, "Well, I, you can know him," he can be a he could be a good guy. You don't. You, we don't know. But making statements like this, you start saying to yourself, "Dude, like, how do you recover from this?" Which, like anything else, it's gonna take time. But he's gonna have to stand up there. I mean, Tiger Woods made statements about golf that had nothing to do with golf. Remember that? Because he was he was one of the faces getting wrecks, and obviously the situation you had with him and his, I think, ex-wife now. So that's what happens, man. Too much is given, much required. I mean, you don't get much bigger names. In golf the field, and he gonna have to he gonna have to stand in it right now. He gonna have to get away get listen, get away. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, I mean, the great Herman ever said the best. Be very very careful when you press in. Be very, get away right now, Phil, because whatever your handlers are saying, you ain't you ain't doing what they saying either. It's not translated, but hey, PGA is in the spotlight right now, Kevin and BJ, and not for the not for good not for good reason. Yeah, we've got more to come here on three and out. You can catch Rich's show Saturday and Sunday mornings at eight a.m. We're coming back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Encourage you to join Ben Saturday, March 5th at East Georgia College in Swainsboro. Ben, for a men's symposium. Tell folks uh, about that coming up again March the 5th, which is a week from Saturday, correct? Yes, uh, super duper humbled and thrilled to be able to have the first of many symposiums, 2022 Men's Symposium, The Money Matters. Uh, going on at East Georgia State College Auditorium on uh, March the fifth. From nine, doors open at nine thirty, nine thirty to two thirty. Uh, gonna be a lot of gonna be a lot of should have a lot of. Uh, I check the uh, the uh, where everybody check it in from or, or um, you know people are registered. Kevin and BJ, we got a lot of a lot of counties. All the surrounding counties are invited. Uh, ages fourteen through twenty will be one group, and obviously you got the adult group. Um, Andre Joma, um, professor at East Georgia State College, will be doing the young the, the young men's group. We're gonna have cash prizes uh, to give away. We're gonna have door prizes to give away. Uh, as a free event, breakfast and lunch will be served. Um, it's gonna be a great event to be able to just bring you know young men and uh, grown men together to be able to talk about why money matters. It's gonna be incredible. Appreciate uh appreciate Big Frank from WJCL giving me a chance uh to, you know to talk about it today, man. You got some great people out there supporting, and I'm I'm just really really looking forward to it. I think when you start talking about philanthropy and humanitarianism and just servitude, you never know where it's gonna take you. But hey, man, Swainsboro GA, listen, <laughs> that is Swainsboro GA. He's going down East Georgia State College, uh, March the fifth.
930 to 230. Free event. And theuncommoncrew.com. Yes, the yes, register. We're coming right back. We got one more hour to go here on Three and Out. Zachary Carter, Florida DL uh D Lyman prospect will join us uh, as he's getting ready to head to the NFL Combine here on Three and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here. Three and out, final hour of the program. We'll hear from Zachary Carter, defensive lineman for the Florida Gators, headed to the NFL. Combine, we'll talk about his Senior Bowl experience, uh, how he's looking ahead to, obviously, the Combine uh, coming up in a, uh, a couple of weeks. So uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Also here on 2-22-22, we would be remiss if on a Tuesday we didn't look at the famous 2s and 22s on 2-22-22 in college football. Did you follow all that? I'm trying. Sort of, maybe, possibly. Uh, so we'll get to that coming up here this hour as well. Also, Major League Baseball and the Players Association have uh, ended their negotiations for today, trying to see some kind of symbolic uh, post or tweet about what they talked about. But apparently, uh, Major League Baseball was supposed to give the latest encounter offers today. Again, as both sides are expected to meet every day this week, and I guess at least a sign that they're getting together consistently and for longer, uh, day in and day out, and willing to uh, point-counterpoint a little bit while they're face-to-face. Well, and I think you have to do that because this is this is getting to a point where the regular season is potentially, potentially in jeopardy of not starting on time. I think most people at the end of the day, to go back to an earlier point you guys made, if you miss a couple of weeks of spring training, I think most people will look back and go, okay, if that's what, what happens. If you end up shortening the regular season, you know, in, in, in baseball – the, the the stats and the standings and the records, all that stuff is kind of how the game is framed. And I think if you all of a sudden go from 162 games to, I, I don't know, a couple of dozen left, uh, uh, less than that, I think people are going to struggle with that. So I get that it's a very complex financial debate. I get that there are some points that neither side wants to give any room on. I understand that. I also understand, Kevin, to your point, kind of the nature of negotiations, right? I'm going to say this, you're going to say that, and we're going to try to move forward that way. But we are in baseball season. We are, right now, the spring training would be in full swing right now, if not for this lockout from the owners. So I think it's to the point where this needs to be taken more seriously than at least the reports have suggested. I think, what, last week you were hearing, well, they met for 30 minutes or or a couple of weeks ago. And that's not, that's not viable. You're not going to... And, and maybe that's part of the game you have to play. But I think we're to the point where these conversations need to start being meaningful if you don't want to miss the start of the season. I mean, I, I think sometimes when we hear negotiations, I think we 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 as the viewing public, fans, you know, uh, we think, oh, they go to the table, they get it done, that's it. No, that's not a negotiation. Like, you know, I mean, uh, Kevin, you made, you made a good point. I think, uh, you know, uh, starting the show, you talk about you're trying to buy a house, right? Trying to get a house. BJ, are you going to take the first offer? No. I mean, no matter what the price is, if, if a good price is always a good price to the person but that's to selling. But point also, when you're buying a house, if there's a date where you need to get it done by and this clock starts, you're going you're gonna to do what you have to do to make it fit in before that start date. Yeah, but at the same time, too, BJ, I mean, the thing about it is this. You know, uh, when you – you want to make sure this is something you're comfortable with at the end of the day. And and I, and I think when you think about the situation with the – what owners don't like is when players play hardball. Owners think they got all the leverage. Come on, guys, man. I mean, we guys paying you to play. Yeah, we, yeah but we understand more of the business now. And I don't – sometimes as a, as a player, 
You got to know that you're representing more than just yourself. Like, even if you're a marquee player like a, like a, like a Trout, you know, like a Harper, like a Scherzer, you're speaking for those players who, if they, Scherzer and those guys, they know them by face. If, if, a, if a random MLB player tried to go in negotiations, if he didn't have a name tag, you wouldn't even know who he was. That's who you're speaking on behalf of. And let's face it, these owners are making bank. The worst team in baseball is making money. Think about that. The teams that don't want to spend money on free agents are not trying to compete are still making money. Problem is, when you start talking about now, you're, you're, you're not just talking about current players. You're talking about former players. You're talking about health care. You're talking about a lot of things that go into these CBAs. We think it's, hey, man, pick a number, let's go. Nope, 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 nope. I just think that when you when they are at the table, they're talking. They're getting it done. But owners, if you ask the owners, they don't like players playing hard. They want to be like, listen, owners, this is what we're giving y'all. This is what y'all just take. Let's move on. But then people start saying, well, how much money are y'all getting? Right? Baseball is about the team. NBA is about the players. NFL is about the shield. Nowadays, they'll say, well, listen, man, you know, you play for a certain team or something. You know, I, I just think that I did myself a disservice when I was in the National Football League because I didn't take those negotiations seriously, and it's hurting players now. So I, I, I give those players a lot of credit. But like you say, Kevin, like you say, BJ, right now, still got a little wiggle room. Yeah. Those, those owners are saying the closer we get down the line, we're going to try to use that to their advantage. Oh, this is from Evan Drellich of uh, The Athletic, uh, included in today's – uh, MLBPA offer uh, the player association instead of eighty percent of players with two to three service years of service being eligible for arbitration, they backed it down to seventy five. Dropped the a drop from eight picks in the amateur draft lottery down to seven, and some increases in minimum player uh, in minimum salary put out there uh, as well. No new proposal on the CBT, and for all the people who've been following, that is the biggie in the room. So you hear no proposal there. Some of this minor stuff, I feel like the next day or so is probably going to get worked out. So, like somebody said, uh, it's going to end up being, okay, you're coming down to 80. It's, they're they're going to find the common ground there. The CBT is the competitive balance tax, i.e. the luxury tax, i.e. you go over that, you pay more money, Yankees, Dodgers, and players view that then as a salary cap uh, because teams don't want to go over it, obviously. Hey, you mean I'm going to have to pay more because I'm spending more uh, on my team in a competitive balance tax? So the players are trying to come up with a number, I think, that, that increases that a little bit uh, so guys can get more money. I, I still think it doesn't matter what the competitive balance tax is. You can make it more uh, or bring it down so teams pay, but you still have the teams at the bottom that aren't spending money. Like that, to me, is the, the core problem. So they haven't really got to that. That's going to take a minute uh, to work out. So we'll see. I think once you hear somebody bring up the CBT and they've talked more about that, I think you're getting closer to ending this thing because some of this other stuff, I think at the end of the day, while it matters, probably doesn't matter as much as if you really care about the players, how much are we trying to get teams to spend to increase the salary pool for everybody? That, at the end of the day, I think is what the players should be truly dug in the dirt for is we just want teams to spend money on us, right? And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that you look at and go, why do they have – I think in any league in professional sports, the money's gotten so big, you cannot operate a league where a team at the top is spending – $180 million on their payroll, and a team at the bottom is spending 30 you're, yeah. you're, you're not going to have a competitive league, and the goal of the league should be an NFL, right? Not that everybody's going to win. Not that Cleveland Browns have their no, own problems. The Jaguars, the Jaguars win the AFC title right, game three but, years ago. But the point is, the Jaguars can't just sit back there and go, woe is me, we stink. We're only going to – I mean, can you imagine – put the baseball model in the NFL right now, Ben. You would have the Kansas City Chiefs spending, say – $200 million, 
And the Jacksonville Jaguars, if they were allowed to, would probably be spending like $70 million. How in God's name are you going to have a competitive league with that kind of disparity? And Cowboys. I, and I, yeah. yeah, and I think that is what the players are trying to figure out. But until I think you see some movement on that competitive balance tax, I don't know that we're really on the precipice of the deal. The minute I see one of these reporters say, and so-and-so said this with the CBT, and the players responded and said, we want a little bit more. Once you see that, you know they're getting close to a deal. Yeah, and the thing is too, Kevin. Look, you you bring up a good point. I mean, the thing like that's what I'm saying. If it's if it's ten players in the room, ten players got ten things they think we should be in the voting on. That's what that's what you know. Owners, it's one voice. Like they all think the same. So we got ten people in the room saying, "Hey, man, I'm here on behalf of the other players. I'm here on behalf of the competitive disadvantage." Because what if I'm, what if I'm on one of those bad teams? Like people say, you're getting paid to play. Yeah, but dude, if winning and losing my livelihood, all I know is losing. I want to I want to know what it's like to finally win. So I, I do think there's a lot of things going on, but I will say this. I applaud these players because I don't think you guys understand. Sometimes you don't even know what you're fighting for until you get in this room. Kevin, what did we say? They wanted 120 for the arbitration. They said, we'll give you a 115. We'll give you 15. These owners, I'm telling you, they don't see it the same. Like, we see ourselves. You usually see yourself as an asset depending on what you represent. If I'm a player, I think I'm the asset. Owners don't think I'm assets like that. They think anybody can do what I'm doing. Are people going to show up to the games? Kevin, you told us about the Braves. They do a profit every game at home. But the problem is, too, man, the Braves are also competing. There are teams in Major League Baseball, they don't even try to hide it. You have the Marlins they, model where yes. you, know, you have one run a, a, a decade, and then the rest of the decade you're bad You're penny-pitching, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think that is – to me, the bigger issue with the with Major League Baseball model is because I think you want to see more teams rotate through the playoffs. Obviously, you'd like to see the Yankees and Dodgers if you're Major League Baseball. They're, they're like your biggest uh, biggest markets. They, they have history. They have all that. I get that. But I think you also need to have a run where the Arizona Diamondbacks are good, where Colorado's good, where the Seattle Mariners are good. And I, I want to say back in the early 2000s, uh, I, I at least went back and looked, and over the span of like the last nine years or so, when I was sitting there in like 2002, 2003 looking at this, like every team in the National League had made the playoffs in a 10-year span. I think that's pretty good. If everybody feels like, hey, on a certain amount of time, we should be able to get in the playoffs. I think that's good in a 30-team league. Now, in the American League, it wasn't quite as good because you were dealing with some dynastic franchises. Even in the American but, League, you had the Royals. I right. Mean, uh, so you do, you have had some, but I think it could be, I mean, how much greater could it be if you had some teams that were actually trying to win games instead of saying, we're going to put these guys out there, we're going to let them figure it out at the Major League level, we're going to lose 115 games. We know that from the start. Come buy tickets. Like, that's a tough sell as opposed to, hey, we put a competitive team out there, it didn't work out, we lost too many games, we're going to make some adjustments versus we are in the tank and we are on the slow rebuild towards uh, towards competing. I, I don't think that's good uh, for the league. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll look at 2, 22, 22, or some of the best twos and 22s out there in college football uh, history. But did want to say this before we step aside, uh, BJ and Ben. Obviously, it's been a national story, but obviously a very close uh, local story uh, at the end of the, of the day when you're talking about the Ahmaud Arbery case. And, of course, the three men were found guilty in their uh, crimes uh, in their regular trial, their criminal trial, uh, what, a month or so ago, and now they've uh, been found guilty in the federal hate crimes trial uh, that was announced earlier today. So all three men facing more charges and getting found guilty. So uh, on top of the multiple hundreds of years that they were already sentenced, they're going to be getting a few more 
uh, on top of that after today's ruling. Listen, man, I, I applaud the judicial system, the justice system. It, de- it did work for this family. I would say this. Uh, when it comes to your Mar Arby family, man, if you have a chance to reach out to it, his parents, man, just, you know, wrap your arm around him. This is this is tragic for them, something that nobody wants to lose a family member, never, definitely not in this tragic sense, that they've had to live this out for the last, I think, BJ, we are, tomorrow is the two-year anniversary of of that, not something we want to celebrate. But, yes, justice was served. Justice for the Amard Arby's family. We wish his parents nothing but the best, man. Nobody wants their child to be the uh, the poster child of, you know, hate crimes. But the judicial system got it right twice. Um, I'm happy that they threw out that plea deal for which they did originally get. But justice for Amard, justice for Amard. And like I say, I mean, I'm just praying for uh, some level of uh, comfort for his, for his parents at this point. No, absolutely. Justice for Amard and, and agree. Continue to pray for Ahmad, his family, the community, uh, just just unthinkable. Uh, uh, this this murder, this act of hate, and just continuing to, to to pray for the family. We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. BJ loves it uh, that I've been able to do that all day today. You and Christian definitely. Yes, we love got it. we've gotten all into it. Hey, I'll never be able to say this again, ever while I'm alive. How about that? That 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 make okay. you happy today? Yeah. You got to give me a one day. And the next time 2-22-22 comes around, we'll be in another century. Cool with that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. no are no, you as no. into this as they yeah, are? Yeah, no, no, no. No, the question is, would you want to be around for the next one to come For around? the next 2 22 <laughs> Probably not. That being said, you have a whole other list of candidates for what I'm about to say, but who was the best 2 or 22 in college football? Since we're wow. all about twos today. Uh, who would you say is the best? I know there's a lot of candidates out there. And Johnny Football, Cam Newton, War Two, Charles Woodson, Deion Sanders, War Two, Derrick Henry, War Two. While in college, who's the best two or twenty-two out there in college football? Yeah, I, uh, I think I think what we have on the list here, Cam Newton's going to be going to be first reference. I mean, mm-hmm. we were talking about it in the show meeting. You're you you, you win a national championship. On an offense where nobody else made the National Football League, I don't, I, I don't think. Nope. I mean, where you think about LSU, right? You have like all this, and I'll take anything away from Joe Burrow, but I think what Cam Newton did, elevating the status quo, was 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 absolutely incredible. Uh, I think when you look at what he did production-wise in the conference he was in, haven't seen much like that. Now Johnny Manziel, from a production standpoint, in that same conference was. Was right there, didn't have the national championship, but had kind of that Manziel magic, uh, captivated college football. The Charles Woodson Deion Sanders discussion is interesting because I think they're both there. And I was looking at some um, some uh, lists earlier that kind of said, "Hey, best player ever by number." And for two, I saw a lot of sites mention Deion Sanders. But Ben, you make a good point about Charles Woodson. Deion Sanders is, of course, you know, right up there, the goat. But Charles Woodson has a Heisman yep. and. Still, the only defensive player with a Heisman Trophy. Uh, so I, I, I think those guys are right there. Derrick Henry, two thousand yards in a national championship season in the SEC. I would go with the twos above the twenty twos for right now. Those are the twos: Newton, Manziel, Woodson, Sanders, Henry, all twos. Flutie and Smith, a Doug Flutie and Emmett Smith were twenty two. I will, and with all due respect to those guys, I will hold off there. But I. I, I think my mind is kind of, if I had to narrow it down, maybe Cam, Dion, Charles Woodson, a top three for number two. Wow. I mean, you talk. I just look at it. Cam Newton is something I've never seen. 
And 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 I say that and I say that respectfully because Cam Newton accounted. I think he I think he accounted for fifty touchdowns that year. I think he had thirty passing and twenty rushing. He had like uh, fifteen hundred yards rushing that year. I remember watching. I did not watch. I I didn't see none of Deion Sanders in college, but I know I know how great of a player he is. I he got a picture of him kind of like in like that little pose behind the Thorpe Award. Uh, BJ uh, his time at um, Florida State. I watched Charles Woodson play in one game. That was against. Uh, you know, I Ohio State. He was going up against uh David Boston, and they was going at it. He had like a one hand pick on the side. I think he had a uh a, a kick return for a touchdown. Derrick Henry has been Derrick Henry his whole life. You couldn't you couldn't tackle him when he was in uh, Pop Warner. Couldn't tackle him in high school. Can't tackle him now. He, I mean, he's just bigger than everybody else. Doug Flutie has some incredible moments. Doug Flutie is probably not appreciated enough for what he's meant to the quarterback position. Obviously, Emmitt Smith is Emmitt Smith. But I think the best number two is Johnny Manziel. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Cam Newton looks and plays the same. You see him. He looks like a tight end. You know, he runs like a running back. He has moves like a receiver. Or, you know, he, he can do it all. Charles Wilson, he had to win the Heisman. Deion Sanders, he got the brand, right? Derrick Henry, you can't tackle him. BJ, for one year, the whole world was putting up the money sign. It's, Everybody it's was doing football. it. It's Johnny Everybody football. was Johnny Football. And listen, I don't know how many guys were named Johnny Football, but he he is the one who everybody knows for it. No one was really watching Texas AM football. No one was caring about the 12th man. It was about one guy. And Mike Evans was on that team with him. I just think that Johnny Football to me, BJ, because think about this. Every time you say Johnny Manziel, people go, oh, because they remember that year. It's hard. It is hard to be remembered, people. We know. Deion. And I believe he was the youngest player ever to win the Heisman. Yes, and the thing about it is, is right. He had he had Aggies fans thinking they finna run through the SEC. Nope. But for one year, man. I mean, he well, he did it for multiple years. But I think he I think he just put on the show. Charles Woodson won the Heisman, but he had to play multiple. He had to play some offense. Had to be a kick returner. Cam is Cam. Dion got the Brandon. Derrick Henry, you can't stop him. Love Doug Flutie, love Emma Smith. But for me, it is Johnny football because I think Kevin, listen, we throwing up the money signs like we throwing up the money signs like we won't like we team Manziel. Like people like when he got drafted, throw up the money signs. So for me, all these guys are deserving it. No, all these guys are, you know, one of ones. But for me, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Johnny Football. All right, if you have to go one, you're going, you're going. I'm going, I'm going Johnny Football because I think BJ, think about it. Cam, number one overall pick. You see the career he went on to have. Charles Woodson, Hall of Famer. Emmitt Smith, Hall of Famer. Doug Flutie, probably shit. Probably, you can't really talk about the quarterback. And I know that we're talking about college. But, I mean, BJ, <clears throat> we have to watch Auburn and different things now because of controversy. Do we really watch Texas? I mean, they just got the number one recruiting class. Do they, do they got a Heisman Trophy when it comes out there anytime soon? I would say no. Johnny Football, he is football royalty. I'm just going to say, give me Johnny Football, the best number two. I'm going to go down to two and make you answer, and then I'm going to think about my – Right now, I'm I'm down to Cam Newton and Deion Sanders. Whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, like oh, we, oh, like, yeah, I'm about yeah, to say. So that's, that's, for everybody, that's, that's, no, 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 no. Think, no, think about this though. That's uh, number two. Cam think, is that? No, 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 think about this though, Cam. And, and we talking about our Cam. Everybody want to jump on me because I want to I want to see Florida in the spring. BJ is coming down to Dion. I'm leaning. Wow. I'm, down to the, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. <laughs> wow, that, that was a hard. That was a hard choice. I went from three to two. <laughs> yeah. D- I think he I did. think Cam's one season is is up there with just about anybody. I think you look at other guys like Charles Woodson who played multiple seasons, Dion, Derrick Henry. I think you can make an argument of a good are you, are you, nothing more you could do, right? Didn't lose a game, won no, the national title, he won the Heisman. Won, he, there, there was more he could do. He could have played another season to stack up, and he wasn't going to because he was going to be the number one pick. But what I'm saying is, if you're tacking, stacking up college careers, 
to hate for his one career. And I, I said that was my one thing when you ha- when you evaluated Cam. It was great. Uh, but you wonder how many guys that freshman sophomores have great seasons, came back, and as a junior was like, yeah, a little bit different. We kind of seen it, and I would have been interested to see what year two of Cam at Auburn would have looked like. Just not saying it could have been just good. Maybe he goes 12-0 and again. Uh, but I would just be interested to see if year two could have lived up to even anything close uh, to, uh, to to year number one. Yeah, I mean, I, you guys are right. I, it, it, it is, it is and Again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that to take away from I think when people hear me say that, like, why are you trying to hate on Cam? I'm like, I'm not hating on Cam. I'm just saying he did have one amazing year. And in the history of sports, we've seen a lot of guys with one you're saying, so amazing he, he year. So he is or is not your pick? No, he's not, no I, I will say if I had to pick, I mean, I, I think some of these other guys, Charles Woodson, you have to pick one. one of the Heisman, I think he would be probably, if I had to go with the number two, and again, I have not privy to know everybody who's ever won number two off the top of my head in the history of football, but Charles Woodson right up there winning the Heisman, doing it as a defensive player, which does not really happen. I think since he won it, we've seen what? Endomic and Sue getting a final. I mean, the Tyron we, Matthews. We've seen a couple of guys Teo. become finalists. Yeah, Hutchinson last yeah. year. But yeah. they have not won it. No. And I think you you bumped off a guy that everybody thought it was in the bag. Right? Well, you, bu- you, bu- right? You, bumped, you actually bumped off too because you bumped off Peyton Manning and you bumped off Randy Moss. Right, but I mean, a lot of people going to that year My thought. Yeah, that was, <laughs> no, I'm saying, but a lot of people wow. thought in that year, a lot of people yeah. were sitting there saying, "This is Peyton Manning's award." Yes, because he was clearly the well, obviously, people like Ryan Leaf, but he was clearly one of the best quarterbacks in college football that year. His team did not win the national championship, but one of the best. And I think a lot of people said, unless he just goes out and has a horrible year, Peyton Manning's going to win it, and he didn't. Charles Woodson got it and had that famous, you know, pose in the end zone. I'm going to go with him. I I'm going to go Cam Newton. And because, like we were saying, everything you could have possibly done, you you did in the toughest conference. You did it all. But I will say this: I think historically, we don't fully appreciate Derrick Henry, and 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 I think part of it is because every year Alabama has a superstar running back, and you know a guy that goes to the league or a guy that has fifteen hundred, twelve hundred yards. Derrick Henry had over two thousand yards. Everybody knew what was happening in the toughest conference, where defensive line. I mean, you have. Seven, eight different defensive line used in the SEC. Alabama's lining up, going right at it. Derrick Henry in an era still where college football, you're throwing the ball all over the place. Derrick Henry's saying, give me 30 carries a game. Give me 35 carries a game. And I'm going to go for 250. Didn't he go for like 270 yards in the SEC title game or something like that? So shout out to Derrick Henry. Uh, I think sometimes we don't quite fully appreciate what he did. You talk about one magical season. Uh, and I know he had more than one, but that that, that two thousand yard season in Tuscaloosa just extraordinary. I will go Cam. You guys not appreciating Dion? Well, hold on, hold on, no, 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 we, like, we, no, hold on, we hold never on. appreciate Dion. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, you were yelling about Bo Jackson earlier when nobody yeah, was. I'm sorry. Well, today's not March fourth, twenty thirty four. We'll have that discussion coming up later. <laughs> All I'm saying is, I, every time I do anything, Florida is Homer stuff. You put D, you can put Dion on any list. Who had the best Jerry Carroll when he got when he got drafted? That'll be Dion. I mean, I'm just saying. At the end of the day, you know, Cam, we at Mercedes Benz and we are watching the Falcons play the Rams, and the Falcons were bad then too. Back when Devonta Freeman tried to get in the oh, fight oh, with uh, oh, oh, that was a very disappointing. Devonta Freeman tried to get in the fight with Aaron Donald. I mean, he gonna lose that fight every time. Devonta Freeman, anyway. And and all of a sudden we waiting, we looking like, man, what's going on? All of a sudden we hear this. You hear this? What's up, baby? It's prime time. BJ, like, what you? And BJ's looking at the screen, and and 
For those of you who are Chris Tucker fans, they was playing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, you know, uh, with Michael Jackson, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker is in the stadium dancing right then, but BJ, I knew he was going to pick uh, Dion. Because B- BJ be picking Dion like Dion is. Well, Dion do be listening to 3 and Out. He needs to listen to 3 and Out at Pigskin Radio every day. He does, yeah. But. Because BJ going to run to Dion one day and go, hey, Prime, I never went against you. You the homie. What? Never. They say who the best number two? You the best pick, number two. I pick Cam Newton. So Cam picked Cam Newton. I pick, you, you pick Johnny Football. I pick Johnny Football because some of us told us that grown men shouldn't wear jerseys until he got a jersey and just forgot about it and put it on. <laughs> Dion. Grown men don't wear jerseys unless, it's, don't a, wear unless jerseys. it's a jersey unless I want to yeah. wear. Unless, unless it got 2-1 on it. You know, Santa's on the back, and it's, and it's a five All black. <laughs> <laughs> the double standard, always amazing here on the show. Again, I'm looking forward to, if Lord willing, I'm still doing a show then, March 4th, 2034. We'll have a heck of a debate on that day. Best 34? Yeah, and it'll still be Bo Jackson. I was going to say, even when it comes think there, you might fine. hear some for Herschel? Not, not out of my mouth. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> You you have been consistent with that yes. through, throughout the years. I will ride for Bo Jackson forever. He's my guy. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. When we come back, Zach Carter, Florida, former Florida defensive lineman, getting ready for the combine. We'll talk about his journey next. Here on the- BJ and Ben, glad you are making us a part of your day. Little college hoops later tonight. Georgia, Texas A and M for our listeners in the Savannah market. And again, could we be seeing the? The tail end of the Tom Crean era here over the next couple of weeks. We talked to some folks yesterday here on the show. Dane Young said, yes, absolutely, playing out the string there and certainly a a mess to fix on the Georgia basketball side of things, which ironically, they do have a couple of wins that despite all make you go, wait a minute. Yeah, How did course, that happen? Yeah, played, played Auburn down to the wire a couple of weeks back, but it's been a bad season for, for Georgia basketball. This is clearly, I think, based on everything we're reading and being told, going to be it for Tom Crean and – I think when he was hired, there was a lot of excitement. You thought about his profile. You thought about uh, the success he's had, the NCAA tournament runs. You know, Dwayne Wade and just the you know the the uh, the accolades on his resume. But it has not worked out. And even with Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick in the draft, you were not a great. You did not make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I, I, so I think I think change is coming. I don't know which one of you it was yesterday that asked Dane. Kind of what's the what's the expectation? What can you be? And I think that's a fair question. I mean, clearly you are a football program that is right up there with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. You're the defending national champs. We know what the expectations are there. Okay, well, what about with this basketball team? I I, I mean, you have to go go back a ways to talk about consistent success. And I think people would take even more so than consistent success, consistent consistency. I mean, it's it, 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 it's been really difficult uh, game in and game out to kind of pair multiple solid performances together. But you're playing A&M tonight. I know, you know, there are some big games in the SEC. I know Florida's got Arkansas. Uh, that's a game with NCAA tournament implications tonight. But this is uh, this is going to be the end here for uh, Tom Crean, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, don't uh, credit. Listen, credit to AD at uh, Georgia for doing all he can to try to you know, throw something at this Georgia basketball program. Anthony Edwards is a highlight, but when you think about it, when I mean, unless it's going to be a 30-for-30, 30 30, that's the last time Georgia, what, did anything as far as, like, the tournament goes or even winning the SEC tournament. Georgia is a basketball – I mean, Georgia's a football school no matter, no matter how you slice it. Tom Crean did all he could. But when you say excitement in Georgia basketball, I w- you would want you would have to go in the you have to go in the homes of all these Georgia basketball fans that watch during basketball season. What are you watching? You're watching Duke. 
<laughs> Call it what it is. Let's not let's not act like it's not it's not that. But hey, man, Tom Crean did the best he could. But uh, sometimes you 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 realize just how bad something is when you bring in a coach. You know, uh, with with the type of resume and pedigree of a, of a Tom Crean, it just didn't work out. And what you really ask yourself now, Kevin and BJ, is what do you do after? You're gonna get rid of Crean. Who do you get? No, but I think what you mentioned and what you laughed at might be part of the process. You know, I step one for whoever comes in might be. We have to create the the intensity, the passion, the sense of urgency, the expectation level, the interest to kind of use that as our foundation. That may be part of the process. Well, I mean, I think you look around the the league and schools that traditionally haven't really cared a rip about basketball are really good. Auburn, even Alabama has become consistently in the upper half of the league uh, for the most part. And you say, well, man, if anybody was a football school, it's Alabama. Tennessee uh, loves their football. Vols have been Pretty consistent. Even when Bruce Pearl was there, now uh, they are a, a, a contending team. We've seen the likes of uh, the Mississippi States have their runs. The Ole Misses, who certainly care way more about football, baseball, than they do uh, college basketball, and say, hey, we can be competitive. Arkansas has come back around. I know Arkansas has more basketball tradition than a lot of SEC schools, but they've come back around and really put out a, a competitive team. We've seen, I know Frank Martin's kind of struggling a little bit, but we've seen South Carolina put a lot of money and effort into, into uh, their basketball program. So it can be done. And certainly a team, a team, a fr- I almost said franchise, which is basically what we're coming to, a organization with as much money as UGA has certainly can pump as much money into it as they choose to uh, to try to make that thing uh, competitive. It could be a national uh, considerable power in basketball if they can get the right fits uh, in, their, in that program. Appreciate you joining us here on the program. Thanks to Doc Herbert for joining us. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys uh, Golf Show, and Zach Carter, former Florida defensive lineman, joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll see you tomorrow for a Wednesday edition, a 2-23-22 edition, BJ, of 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio.